Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On this episode, I have pianist Robert Thies. He's a native Angelino and the only American to have ever won the International Prokofiev Competition in St. Petersburg. He is literally one of the best pianists in the world. And he happens to live here in L.A. He does a lot of studio work and uh, lots of concert work. As a matter of fact, I drove up to the Hollywood Bowl in the middle of the afternoon during a break that he had uh, in between rehearsal and performance of The Little Mermaid, uh, for which he was playing the keyboard. I really like Rob. I've known him for a long time. He's easy to talk to. He's very candid and very frank about uh, his business and his life. And we had a really nice conversation. I hope you enjoy the interview. And as always, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for meeting me. This is great. It might Pleasure. be a little bit noisy sitting outside. at the. Let's set the scene. We're at the Hollywood Bowl in the uh, <laughs> catering tent. Very so nice. maybe if we have a lull in the conversation, we can make ourselves some sandwiches and <laughs> get some uh, tequila or something. I don't know. I came here for the food. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know this until I drove up that you are uh, playing in The Little Mermaid right now. I am playing in The Little Mermaid. How I'm is that? I'm having a lot of fun with yeah. it. I, uh, I am the voice of the steel drums oh. and the big church organ. And uh, I actually have some big solo moments in this show. You do? Yeah. So it's it's I'm considered keyboard two. Okay. But the, sometimes the second keyboard gets. That means you do twice the work. Get, well, <laughs> yeah. No, it keeps me on my toes, and uh, there's there's yeah no opportunity to fall asleep at all. There's a lot of counting bars. Things go very quickly. Yeah, and yeah. And can you see the can you see the movie while you're performing yeah they've got monitors up there oh you so, can yeah and and last night i spotted a, a tv star in the audience and oh, who was nearly missed a cue oh you did really <laughs> i you I, know mindy kaling from the mindy oh, show sure. <laughs> yeah in the office i'm like oh wow yeah. are you kidding <laughs> yeah and then i'm like oh four two three four <laughs> <laughs> i did the same thing once we were doing a, a concert with andrea bocelli and uh everybody at the same time spotted Catherine zeta jones Ooh. down in the in uh -huh. the in the pool. That's a distraction, huh? Jesus Christ. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. She's a fucking movie star. I mean, it's it just like she blinded us. Yeah. And we almost, uh, the whole group just almost they missed They really are up. more beautiful than the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, I they? know. Every time I see a movie star, I don't know if, I don't know if the cart or the horse is first. You know, it's like if you become famous and, and, you, and you're making great money and you love what you do, does that make you look just better I or do wonder. you be, behave differently or, or are you just kind of born that way and then people just throw money at you we well, you know john stamos is in this production too yeah and what's there, he like there are all these teenage girls up front that are just losing it really yeah it's it's like a rock show up there in fact the hardest part of this show is that every time they bring a new star to sing one of the famous numbers in the show the audience erupts and there's this i mean it's it's so loud because the when you have 
I don't know how many thousands of seats there are in this place. Yeah, yeah, like 13,000. When they all erupt together like yeah. that, the sound gets trapped under the shell. It's yeah, the yeah, yeah. Thing yeah. When we did Bocelli, I thought it, I thought there was going to be a riot. It's fr- <laughs> it's so frightening. The sound is so frightening. Oh, were you doing Bocelli last yeah, night? Yeah, uh, no, not last night. Last I night mean, this is when I was in college. Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing. He's still doing it, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a long time. But were you his understudy? <laughs> no, yeah, right. Man, I'll tell you, that guy, when I was in college, um, I think college teaches you to be, I think the first course you take is like a course in snobbery. And um, so nobody really took him seriously, especially the tenors. And we went on tour with him for three years when I was in college. And um, every day we would have breakfast and he would sit with us every morning in the hotel. We'd go to the venue, the, you know, these big arenas. And... Um, and he would sing through the whole thing, full voice. Wow. And then have a break and come back and do it, uh, you know, from like 8 to 10 or 8 to 10, 11. I mean, it was a really long show. And no he always had, at all, huh? No, nothing, wow. nothing. And then we would do that every day for like two weeks. What were you doing? What, were you, what role did you serve in that? Oh, show? I was just, uh, ba- you know, just back, backing vocals. Oh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, I, I felt more tired than he seemed to be. Sure. Uh, on these tours. But anyway, wow. that's neither here nor there. Um, I, you know, on my way over here, I wanted to ask you a couple of things in particular that mm-hmm. I don't know about. Let's start with your with your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in Thousand Oaks, basically. Oh, in Thousand Oaks. Yeah, the first home I remember was Westlake Village. I see. I oh, lived we there until I was about yeah, eight yeah. or nine and then moved to Colorado for four years. Yeah, okay. And then moved back to L.A. when I was 12 and been here ever since and yeah so did you where did you study where did you start studying well did you start playing piano when you were a little kid yeah how old were you i was playing the piano since i was about four. Oh my god I took lessons starting around five so i've got six months to get my son whipped into shape there's time <laughs> Le- legend has it that what happened is i would hear things on the tv uh-huh and then i'd go up to the piano and and play what i had heard so i showed an ear for music before i even knew how to read it yeah yeah and did, were your parents musical uh enough my dad was an amateur jazz musician he played okay. the woodwinds all right and so you my, heard it growing up in the my house. mom loved to hover behind me at the piano and sing barbara Streisand and neil diamond <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like my house yeah actually yeah the sting was on all the time the, the scott joplin soundtrack <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. But you remember that because you came over once and we, we went through a that's bunch right. of TV show themes. Yeah, that's right. Know, through the 80s. And that's, that's right. That's what I grew up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I ever throw in the towel on the classical thing, I think I got a new shtick I can do here. <laughs> <laughs> and, do you, and when you were, so you were in Thousand Oaks and you started studying. I just want to track this because I know that you, you've, you've had so much success I guess my question is, how? Why did you did you come back to California? Because this is just where you were from, and it just seemed natural to come, come back after you'd gone to school. Or where did you end up going to to school? You went to high school in Thousand Oaks. Uh, no, we when we moved back to L.A. Uh, first of all, the reason we moved at all was for my dad's job. He worked for Atlantic Ridgefield, the oil company. Sure. So his job transferred us back and forth. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So it wasn't like my parents were devoting their lives to their son and uh-huh. for you know uh-huh. no um so i i went through public school education mm-hmm. and i went to high school out in palos verdes that's where i moved i to. see 
and there there i mean we had no music program whatsoever at the high school mm-hmm. there was the band i didn't either yeah. yeah we had a competitive high school on the, on the hill though that did some musical theater productions mm-hmm. and they had a really good drama department mm-hmm. so i was going to the other school to participate in musical theater productions. oh wow Okay. And so I did Funny Girl when I was 14 years old. On the keyboard. With a fantastic singer uh, that lives in town still. Kirsten Chandler is her name. Wow. Um, She was amazing. And, uh, yeah, so I was exposed to musical theater from a young age. And Mm -hmm. because of that experience, it it encouraged me, taught me how to improvise and Mm -hmm. read chord charts and Mm -hmm. sort of do things outside the comfort zone of the typical classical uh, Mm -hmm classically trained musicians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt very fortunate by that and not not only did I get the experience but I enjoyed it yeah 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 it was, it was something completely different from Beethoven and Chopin and all the heavy stuff from the dead European composers you know yeah. I got to play yeah relevant uh, popular music yeah. and hang around a bunch of drama you know yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Musical I exactly, theater types. I know exactly what you're talking because about. Because they're they're the total opposite. I mean, I I've always been an introvert and shy, and they were the, they're of course they're the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. So they're always engaging me. They knew I was shy, and they were you know. So, you know, there was a lot of, well, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idea. So through your through your high school years, you you went off and played in these other organizations, and yeah. So I through high school, I finally at about age 15 found my first serious piano teacher Mm -hmm. Uh, an incredible teacher that I still feel very indebted to his name is Robert Turner and he he was a legendary teacher on the west coast for sure Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in Santa Monica and and he devoted his his the last 30 40 years of his life to teaching he's no longer no he passed away in uh, 2000 Uh uh-huh uh, but he was incredible, and he he would strike the fear of God, and you know. <laughs> and did he? I mean, me. did he appreciate all different styles, or was he like just a classical? Stickler? He was a very very strict. Hey, Abiel, keep it down over there. <laughs> 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 Sorry, just uh, saw one of my colleagues come in. I'm, just I'm just sure. to reiterate, we are in the uh, catering tent, and it's starting to fill up with people, and we may have to. We may have to get out of here and find another place. It's getting getting we'll noisy. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Anyhow, so yeah, my the teacher was a very strict classical guy. I mean, as strict as they can come. And yeah. I remember the morning of my lessons, my stomach would turn, and you know, I'd be frightened. And Did he know I, that you were playing uh, musicals, well, Broadway stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I I I made it known, and and what was amazing was that uh, I remember going to a lesson one day and and sort of apologizing to him and saying I, I feel badly but I don't feel like I prepared as well this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what surprised me is that his response was not to scold me but rather to say, you know what, you don't have anything to apologize for because as far as I'm concerned, all of these other musical activities you're engaging in have really helped your musicianship grow yeah. tremendously. Yeah. yeah, and it's important I think to uh, show people how to make a living. I mean, uh, to to discourage hmm. to discourage participating in any kind of musical endeavor when you've trained as a musician um, at the expense of your financial well-being. I think totally defeats the purpose of getting into. No, I wouldn't say totally defeats. Obviously, artistry and discipline and a love for the craft are very important. But if you can't 
support yourself doing that, you're going to end up participating in it less. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a worse crime than maybe playing. You know, I've done... I've. The biggest thing I've ever done was play a, a singing penguin in a movie. I mean, <laughs> and I, I got to do it. I got to meet the director. I, I got to make a friend in the Palisades as well. Uh -huh. um, and uh, John Powell is uh, the, sure. the guy I worked with. Oh, and you came in that's on that right. session too. So yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Like to deny those types of things on some idea of uh, artistic idealism, I think is really a bad idea. Well, the, the nice thing too is that I mean, there are basically two kinds of music, good music and bad music. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, last week I got to play a Rachmaninoff concerto, which to me is the, the, the most, in, the you know, pinnacle, some of the right? most incredible, you know, it, music there is. It's it's something that inspired me as a teenager and, and a piece I actually tell people is probably the reason I'm a musician today. I mean, that's how important that music is to me. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, I'm I'm on stage at the Hollywood Bowl playing... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Little yeah. Mermaid. Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, and the Little Mermaid, Alan Menken's score is fantastic. It's fantastic. I mean, it's uh, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible music. So. I mean, it's so incredible that they're filling the Hollywood Bowl with it. Yeah, I mean it, that that's no joke. It's yeah. I mean, trying to get parking or get into the parking lot at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, no, I I feel lucky, and I I actually enjoy being able to do these different activities yeah because if i was stuck doing just one thing that would just i know me too suck i feel the, yeah you know i feel the same way i i'm always excited about new opportunities as a singer classical or otherwise i just uh sang my first um musical theater piece in my entire life just two nights ago did you yeah yeah for the i mean we put it up and performed it and it was really thrilling and i i was a victim of the same Thing that I was talking about earlier where I, I just kind of poo-pooed it I you know I when I got into music I wanted to sing Verdi and Puccini mm -hmm. and uh, listen to Beethoven and I always thought and I'm probably going to make a lot of enemies but I, I always thought of musical theater as kind of um, subjugated by that by the other repertoire that I mentioned mm -hmm. and I came to realize that that's just not true it's just a different kind of repertoire and there there's a whole other skill set that goes into performing that well I mean just because you can play Rachmaninoff doesn't mean that Mankin's score is super cakewalk and super easy it right. just presents different challenges absolutely you know especially yeah. when you're on a click track or when you've got a, a, a an image to sync with and I mean that's a whole other set of skills yeah, I agree. And, and and those things in this town pay a lot of the bills. Exactly. You know? So you can't you can't deny that. <laughs> if um, if I told you what I made for the performance of the Rachmaninoff, you yep. would, you and all the listeners would be quite surprised. That's I mean, the difference between for profit and not for profit. <laughs> exactly. So I mean I we do the art music for, for our souls to, to feed our souls, but we also need to feed her bodies yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so you where when did you where did you go off to study piano in college i went to usc oh you did so, so would, you yeah. really just stayed you're you're socal born and bred i would say so yeah yeah um you had no desire to go to new york where i would think there would be more work for a classical pianist it's or interesting Europe. you know some people love new york and other people don't and I find it a very exciting place to visit. Yeah, me too. But somehow the idea of living there intimidates me. Yeah. And I I did have the opportunity to go there for a master's degree and uh, but 
USC finally gave me a full scholarship to stay for a master's, so financially it made sense mm -hmm. to stay, mm -hmm. and I haven't looked back. Mm -hmm. There's always that, I wonder what would have yeah, happened had I gone to New York, you know, kind yeah. of because all the managements are out there. and Exactly. And that's a whole other game. That and Europe is such a huge market for classical music. I think in the world it's probably the biggest market, at least for live performance. Yeah, and I think inside the soul here, because I'm a bit of a Europhile and, and I live studying these European composers, you know, I think I, I would enjoy living in Europe yeah. and being in that society. I mean, I've certainly spent enough time out there on, on various visits to soak in the the culture and just, you know, to sit on a square and have a coffee and there aren't any cars passing by. It's a mm -hmm. pedestrian area and mm -hmm. it's just... It just feels like a, a beautiful way to live life. I totally agree. And to walk down alleys and still hear the piano and the oboe and the violin yeah. being played. I suppose you get that in New York, but not so much here. I remember going to Vienna the first time and seeing these huge monuments to the composers. Yeah. And thinking, wow, here's yeah. a culture and a country that reveres their past Yeah. and their and their composers. And I would sit in front of those those monuments for hours writing in a journal i mean i was just that inspired by it yeah it was incredible yeah, yeah. do you think about going to europe at all anymore or you is, is this I think about it all stay? the time it's yeah just what nice do you think? When, you, when you're invited <laughs> yeah i know i know i have the same thing too and now that i have kids i just not that it i don't mean to say that it's uh I, I pine for it or anything because i love i love being in la i love my family i love uh -huh. being here but you know i have the same impulse like what oh what if what if right out of college I'd just gone and done that? And But then I also think about the life that I have now, and uh, I don't know, I guess it's just gravy. I mean, it's just little shades of gray, the what ifs, you know? Yeah, things change when you settle down, you get married, you have children. Yeah. I don't have children, but I've got a dog who's basically a child to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, you know, things are good. And then, yeah. truthfully, I, I wonder too, I mean, yeah, I think I'd be a great dad. Yeah. But um, I also think that my lifestyle requires a certain level of, I don't want to say selfishness, well. but in order to make a career to be successful, I think it's, it's hard not to devote all of your energy and your thought into the next performance or the finding the next performance. Well, and in some ways, being an introvert is really... Uh, a huge advantage for you and in the instrument that you play. I mean, yeah. the reason that I don't play piano hardly at all is because I can't stand to be in a practice room. Mm -hmm. I really can't. I, it's, I find it isolating. I, f I get depressed. I, I get uh, antsy. And I think it's because of my extroversion. It just prevents me from being good at that kind mm. of practice. I do find a certain amount of solace and comfort, actually. And I mean, I, I do so much chamber music playing. Mm hmm so I, I'm on stage with other people more than I'm not now. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so that when I do get back to this solo repertoire, I kind of, you know, I'm the only one responsible for the, the end yeah. result of what I'm doing musically. So, but there's, there's some comfort and beauty in that. As much as I love doing a Schubert song with a singer, yeah. it's nice that Schubert also wrote instrumental music where if that singer can't come over then i i have stuff i sure, can enjoy sure. without sure the help or you of can others. just play schumann and just have a little singing and a lot of piano there you go <laughs> 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 which is why i never really became too familiar with schumann frankly <laughs> <laughs> wasn't enough vocal <laughs> stuff no, for you. nope i didn't like just you know, standing funny, there I, I'm, I meet some singers who 
absolutely adore art song and then I've met some that have been the opposite well I think the difference I actually I mean, met a singer who said I effing hate art song and I was just my eyes came out of my my skull I have mixed feelings about it yeah I do I love I love a lot of art song I love Schubert I love Reynaldo Hahn I love uh, uh, I mean Wolf, Bronze, Strauss. Yeah, yeah. I, those, those are a little foray, yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. For sure. Like the French. But I think I've got kind of a theory about that. There, And I've talked to, I just talked to uh, Blair Tyndall, who wrote The oh, Mozart in the Jungle. Yeah, uh-huh. she, I, had, I had her on the show last week. And, and we share something similar in that we both got into music just because it gave us attention and cachet. Huh. And I think there are a lot of musicians who have a, a very natural inclination and ability to do what they do and sometimes those people just do it because it's easier than going to an office and they get applause and and i would imagine that the singers that are like that and i kind of half fall into that category i've grown to love a lot of things about Mm -hmm. what i do but you know a lot of singers just want it want the adulation right and some art song just doesn't give that to the singer i get it Really? Those are usually the singers I don't <laughs> <laughs> spend a lot of thought on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. True. No, it's I mean, true. It's true. I love art song because it's, well, I mean, there's there are so many reasons why. But yeah. if it weren't for Schubert's art song or Schumann's or even Brahms, I don't know that I would appreciate those composers the way I do. Mm-hmm. And actually a lot of instrumentalists uh, don't appreciate Schubert so much because I think pianists and singers have the big advantage there because of the wealth of repertoire for the two instruments. It really outweighs everything else that they've done. Yeah, so, Uh I mean, I'm very privileged. I think being a pianist is both a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. It's a blessing because we have a wealth of repertoire at our fingers that most instrumentalists do not. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the curse is that we're expected to know it all. <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, listen, let's take a little break and move locations. I think it's okay. just getting too noisy here. Cool. Why don't we walk up the hill real quick? All right. All right. And we're back, and I'm out of breath because we just walked. <laughs> we just walked up the hill here at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> we're in like deer country now. It's very nice. Yeah. No, it's lovely. I mean, for all you Angelinos that uh, don't get to the bowl, you need to come out here because it's amazing. (laughs) Um, So what I wanted to ask you um, before we left was about the piano competition that you won. Tell me about, uh, was that the... Prokofiev. Prokofiev. It was in St. Petersburg? It was, yeah. Tell me, when was that? That was already 21 years ago. Oh, my God, really? Time has flown. And how did you get involved with that? Well, it's funny. Um, <laughs> so I was finishing my master's at USC, and which was the last degree I got. Uh-huh. I never went back for a doctorate. Uh-huh. And after that, I went to the Ames Music Festival. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which was yeah. my really the first introduction to art song for me, and I fell in love with it, and it had an incredible experience. Did you know there. Henrietta? Yes. Oh my God! I forgot. Yeah. I I don't know if we've talked about. She that. wasn't there. I don't think while I was there though. I see. Okay, but she had yeah, already we, she had already come and gone by then. We have a lot of common acquaintances. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. So anyway, I was at Ames for six weeks, and then a friend joined me out there, and we we walked around Europe. Well, took the train around Europe for uh, a few weeks, and then I was still on my own until October. Mm-hmm. 
I thought I was going to study at the Hochschule in Vienna. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost got a Fulbright, and then like the week before their deadline to inform me, they rejected me. And a friend convinced me to go out there and audition anyway. I was still rejected. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, was it just based on the competition at the time, or what was it? What were their criteria? Do you well, know? honestly, Did you ever a, find a out? German-speaking friend of mine, actually a German friend of mine, got friendly with the secretary at the Hochschule, uh-huh. and basically found out that the reason I was rejected is because there was a part of the application where you're supposed to indicate religious preference. And I didn't think twice about it. And I said, well, I grew up Jewish, so I'm Jewish. And apparently that was the reason. And I know it sounds... That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy, actually. So, yeah, found that out the hard way. Wow. So I had gone to Europe with a suitcase full of books, scores, textbooks, thinking I was going to be there for a year. My parents sold my car to my roommate. <laughs> so I was, I was going to come home without a car. And uh, my friend that I went around Europe with actually brought me, or I had the application to this Prokofiev competition. Uh-huh. And my, my teacher, Daniel Pollack, told me, he says, I kind of gave up on the idea of you entering that. I figured you weren't interested. So uh, I was in my travels in Italy at the time, and I faxed the application to St. Petersburg from the Vatican City. So I had that papal stamp, the stamp on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and, well, uh, if they let Jews in, I guess we can. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. Wow. So, so I faxed that in, and I, I came back to L.A. on, I think it was October 8th. I uh-huh. just remember these dates. Uh-huh. And I had six weeks to get ready for Wait, why comp- do you remember dates like that? Is it I just something know. that well, you do? Well, it was an important year Oh, it was life. just these particular dates. You're not 1995 like Rain Man was an important year. No, dates. I'm not Rain Got Man. It. Okay. I, I wish I were. I'd probably I'd go gamble or something. Okay, all right. But uh, so anyway, I, I came back and I had six weeks to get ready for this international competition and I'd never done one before. And mm-hmm. It was one of those things where I'd wake up in the morning and before I even showered or ate breakfast, I would just kind of stomp my way to the piano bench, fall on it, and then practice for six hours. Or I mean, I had it mapped out how I was going to practice every day to get through this massive amount of repertoire. How much repertoire did you need to have prepared? It was around three hours of music <gasps> that I needed to have memorized. Memorized? And of course, yeah. And yeah, that's that's the tradition is everybody Is it just passages memory. or is it just... No, full, uh, full? full on works. And of course, because it's a competition, many of these works are some of the most challenging that I've ever played. So... Uh, for the pianists that might be listening, to give an example, the second round of the competition was the Prokofiev Six Sonata, Ravel, Gaspard de la Nuit, and, yeah. and Stravinsky Petrushka. And these are just massive. Ridicu- they're yeah. massive. Yeah. And the last round is uh, you have to do a concerto by Prokofiev and then another one of your choosing. And I did the second Prokofiev concerto. So the the demands of this competition were identical to those of the Tchaikovsky that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the thing is that the Prokofiev competition was fairly new at mm-hmm. the time. Okay. So it I don't think it was part of the World Federation of Music Competitions yet. So mm-hmm. it didn't have the kind of the cachet crowd, that the uh-huh. cachet uh-huh. that the Tchaikovsky did. Mm-hmm. So w- even you know I. Even though I won it, it didn't launch a career the way uh, a better-known competition might have. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is this was Russia in 1995. So right. this was f- 
you know, just after the fall of mm-hmm. the you know, the wall and the mm-hmm. whole Iron Curtain and Perestroika, yeah. And mm. this was a really rough time f- in uh, financially, economically for mm-hmm. Russia. So all of the promises of the gold medal, which included return engagements, recordings, all of these things were rescinded, basically. Mm-hmm. There were a few attempts to invite me. Uh, usually I would get these communiques by fax. Uh-huh. You know, this is way before, this is before email. Yeah. And... Uh, each time they had to rescind the offer because there wasn't even enough money to fly me out to to do any of these things. So there was n- that was a missed opportunity, I suppose, to sort of hold your title, as it were. Yeah, you know, to go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, why you, did you think about other competitions after that, or I while did. you were there, yeah. did you look into things? I did. Uh, I applied to the Clyburn competition mm-hmm. and didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Okay. I applied to the Leeds competition. Also, wasn't even, even on the heels wasn't of this even victory. Exa- exactly. Wow. Okay. So it's it's yeah it's strange. There are a lot of question marks one can you know pose and, and ask about what's going on because you would hope you would think that winning an international competition would have a little more clout. Yeah. How did you deal power. with uh, rejection after that? I mean, I feel I, I would I I, mean, I would have maybe quit. I mean. Well, it's it's a good question. I mean, the, I think not being accepted into those competitions was more confusion than anything. Okay. Uh, now, I never even considered going back to school for a doctorate degree. Get and a teacher, so, you know. Some. I mean, in retrospect, I kind of wish I had it because uh-huh. uh, it seems that if you want a college position, uh, a DMA seems to be a required thing. I mm-hmm. mean, they get hundreds and hundreds of applications, so they need to get, you know, yeah. filter through them somehow. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I was playing more and more concerts. Um, again, the competition didn't launch any kind of career for me, but I started getting a little more attention locally. Here in the States, uh-huh. Well, even more locally, more in the city of Los Angeles, and I started playing with some orchestras out here. And When and did that start for you? Well, soon thereafter, so 1996, mm-hmm. uh, and so I was able to make a living mm-hmm. one way or the other, which is nice, because, you know, I look back and think, you know, I never went through that period where, okay, I just graduated from school, now what? Yeah. And maybe it was just being totally naive or n- not planning well, but mm-hmm. I, I never went through that somehow, mm-hmm. and maybe there's some luck to that that you know, I happened to win this competition just after graduating. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I I never went through that sort of crisis mm-hmm. of like, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. Things just started falling into place. Um, I started uh, meeting more musicians out here and playing a lot more chamber music, and so I was able to s- uh, pull together a living of some sort, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm still doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for everybody in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, all the classical players that I know, um, I see them in the opera pit. I see some of them in, at Disney Hall. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of them at sessions. Um, I mean, they're they're favorites session players, as you know, right. that are always at the sessions. But there there are some there. I think a lot of people do a lot of things here, uh, at, at 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 even the highest levels. I mean, I know the. I know uh, Roberto at the uh, opera of uh, mm-hmm. the the the, uh, cor- the um, concertmaster 
he does lots of session work. And Roberto he, he, Cani, yeah, sure. And, yeah. He, and he, oh, yeah. he gigs all over town. He gigs all over. He goes to Italy. He goes to Europe every mm-hmm. year, every summer. And uh, I think, I mean, I think obviously some people make a lot more money than others, but everybody's always kind of scrambling on the hustle to, mm-hmm. to, to do, to at least. And I find, too, that if you say no, I, you, don't have, you don't have to say no that many times in this town, especially for session work. That right. They're, they're just other people that can do it. Just happened today to me. Yeah, really? I mean, it's, it's one of those things, you know, for for so many years, when I when I talked about playing with chamber musicians in town, these are all studio musicians. Mm-hmm. So anytime one of those players got a studio call, the rehearsal was canceled or postponed. And I was, because I'm a pianist, the, the number of studio uh, opportunities are very, you know, much fewer than, yeah, limited, yeah. than for string players. So I was always the guy that had to adjust my schedule for them. Mm-hmm. And then just today... Uh, I got asked to do something on on Wednesday, and I'd had a rehearsal in the books for like two months for this Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I feel terrible because I'm becoming that guy, yeah, who you know had to cancel on these mm-hmm. other people, and, and I don't like being that kind of person. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but I also need to be realistic because I have made some errors in my past. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I was playing a concerto with the Mexico City Philharmonic with George Mester. Oh, I sure, yeah. He's He's been one of my biggest supporters mm-hmm. uh, for, for the that last delightful 15 guy, yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Amazing guy. And I just played a concerto with him, and right after it, he said, hey, can you stay another week because our, la- our soloist backed out next week. And they were doing a Mozart concerto that I had just played, like, three... It was still in my So you didn't need to prepare it, really? I wouldn't have needed. But you know what I did? I said, I'm sorry, George, I can't because I have this recital that I have on the books with this cellist back home. This recital back home didn't pay anything. Right. I mean, literally. Right. It it was a freebie. But I felt obligated. I was one one of those people that said, you know, once I make a commitment, Mm -hmm. I stick to it. Yeah. And I still like to think I'm that way. Uh, Sometimes push b- comes to shove, though. I mean, but I, th- but I think when I look back on that experience, uh, that was an error in judgment on my part. Because oh, you would have made a different choice. Yeah. Huh. Because here, this was an international orchestra. It would have paid a nice fee, and certainly was more important for my career than this this other recital. And maybe the cellist would wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been any scratch to get somebody to right. fill in right. here in town. Yeah. So. You know, while I try to pat myself on the back for for being <laughs> being the you know the good guy, the good you guy, you wish you weren't the good guy. <laughs> so that that's one of those things I look back on and think, okay, well, my intention, my intent was good, but I, I don't think it was the right decision. Yeah. Still, I mean, pe- musicians cancel. That's that's part of the thing. I mean, either illness or sometimes you're in over your head, or we just had that happen at LA Opera. It happens at the highest level where a singer. Uh, was was contracted to sing the lead role in something, and and by the third rehearsal, everybody knew that it wasn't working, and that singer oh. knew it wasn't working, and they just you know oh, well. backed out. I think they had a uh, flu or something. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So something wasn't working for them, and uh, I I backed out of a few things. Sometimes I'll say yes too quickly, and then I'll go through the score, and I'll oh Jesus Christ, I can't. <laughs> sing. What the fuck did I do? I can't sing this, <laughs> and I uh, I try and give them as much. <laughs> uh, warning as I can, but yeah, I mean, I had to back out when we were doing the Wagner Festival here in town when we had the ring going on. Uh-huh. There, there was Wagner all over town, you know, for the wow. birthday, and 
I said yes to this opera and uh, opened the score, and I had to call him and say, you know what, I, 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 I physically cannot sing this. I, I, won't, I can't do it. Sure. It's not that I don't want to or I'm, I'm not doing anything else. I wow. just literally can't do it. Wow. So, I mean, it happens. That's just part of the business. My memory of Wagner, I think my last experience with Wagner really was, did, did you know that restaurant in Hollywood called Sarno's? Yeah, sure. I mean, they closed a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Back in the mid-90s, I think they closed. Mm-hmm. But for a short period, maybe six months, I was playing there a few nights a week. And so singers would come up and yeah. just throw anything in front of me. And yeah. it, was, it was most often scenes, opera scenes. Occasionally there was some musical theater with the waiting staff, yeah, yeah. friends of mine. But yeah. um, so we are, we just kinda, we're just not getting, <laughs> we're not getting any breaks today, are we? It's unbelievable. But I, I remember some singers uh, threw some one of the Wagner operas in front of me, and I, in fact, I mean, they just opened the score, so I didn't have time to say, oh, what am I playing here? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think my brother and my dad might have even been, have had come that night to, mm-hmm. to check out the scene, what I was doing. And they even spotted this, that when I was playing this thing, I mean, I was sight reading it, mm-hmm. and ev- they, they noticed that every one or two seconds i'd have to look at the beginning of the staff to see what is the key signature here. yeah 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 all those key cells my teacher <laughs> my teacher used to call them because i was playing in what sounded like g major and yet the key signature was g flat major yeah so. yeah 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 <laughs> so, yeah wagner and i aren't the big the, the best of friends you know it's <laughs> funny because in school we didn't we hardly learned at all about wagner and since i've been singing professionally every time we do a piece by wagner i'm blown away away by it mm-hmm. i mean i have to suspend what i know about him personally which exactly. is which is yeah. a real um i still have trouble suspending i that. do too yeah i do too but if you just listen for me just the music as it stands on its own is really um singular there's no composer that makes music that way yeah. or ever did maybe never will well i mean the only thing that brings me a little comfort and i'm not trying to uh See, you know, I'm not trying to support being an apologist, or yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Is that it seems that it was sort of a cultural thing in general, sure. especially the 19th century, the wrong to, place at the wrong time. Well, <laughs> I mean, to basically what I'm getting at is the the composers whom I do admire very much, like Chopin and Schumann, and these great pianist composers, also were made anti-semitic remarks Mm -hmm. now they didn't go as far as wagner and actually write a whole treatise right 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 (laughs) so (laughs) um you know i i still have a lot of trouble uh with wagner as as a person and and truthfully it's affected my desire to really explore his yeah yeah his his, uh, even have an appreciation for it yeah and i and i i have bought some cds often of the instrumental Mm-hmm. parts mm-hmm. Of, of the operas mm-hmm. uh, and there there of course there's some sublime beautiful moments in his music but on the whole because of who he was as a person it's been yeah. really hard for I me know. to I have the same I have the same problem yeah so yeah I totally agree and you know a lot of people don't 
I mean, I, I'm not too fond of Ford either, frankly. I mean, you know, he, he was a real son of a bitch. So every time <laughs> I see a Ford car, I think, oh, well, it's you know, Nazi car. <laughs> a lot of people don't know Lindbergh was in the camp, too. I mean, a lot or of VW. Those, it was d- well, designed sure. by, yeah, so. Well, sure, the, the bug was designed by, I mean, approved by Hitler, designed by Porsche and approved by Hitler. Yeah. It's like the people's car, Yeah. Uh, literally. Um, but, you know, I... And, of course, I'm a pianist, so I lean towards music that was actually written for the piano and the voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's why Keeps our song is... anyway. <laughs> not to say that I don't get incredible joy from playing a Mozart or Puccini aria with mm-hmm. for a friend or mm-hmm. because it's just incredible music and I want to be part of that experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, And Mozart opera has completely opened my blown my mind is to understanding and interpreting the rest of his instrumental music. Oh, interesting. As a kid, I mean, because most pianists are, pedagogically, we were taught Mozart at a pretty young age because technically he's simpler than Beethoven. Mm -hmm. But none of us, including myself, had any clue about Mozart's language, what it was. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, this is kind of pleasant, a lot of tonic, a lot of dominant, but it it didn't it didn't really register as to what his music was all about until i got into his opera well tell me what you what 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 is mozart's music about to you it's opera i mean it, it that's the genesis of all of it this it really is ideas. i mean the, the opera was the the sort of the pinnacle of of genres of you know the or the kind of music that he wanted to write and where he most excelled mm-hmm. and so and you think everything came out of that? I do. So Even when the I go requiem back, and all everything. Yeah, well, the mm-hmm. requiem is yeah. incredible. Yeah. But um, going back to the piano sonatas or the violin piano sonatas, uh, all of this, the language comes right out of opera. Mm-hmm. So if you understand that you know, Mozart was constantly inspired by the human voice, and so when you go back to these instrumental works. They just—it just somehow comes together. Does everything phrase like a, like a like a singer's yes. line? I mean, you breathe exactly. like you would be a singer on the yes. piano. Uh huh. So compositionally, he was affected by that. He uh-huh. always had opera in, in his mind. I see. So the more experience pianists have with opera, with mm-hmm. Mozart's opera, the more they understand mm-hmm. his language. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to what I was saying about Schubert. And if you can, you really dive into his art song. Then his longer instrumental works. Mm-hmm suddenly make total sense yeah it's funny that you have um and i suppose everybody does all musicians have very clear ideas of what certain pieces of music or what certain composers mean to them do you find a drastic difference when you're performing in a small ensemble when the other members of your group have similar ideas about uh like uh for instance do do all musicians think the way you do about mozart and his operas and the way that lines are phrased and the way that um arcs are built and uh, I mean do you, do you see a difference when you play with other players that kind of get that 